Hello. And welcome to the first story in the Undeveloped Polaroid series. This is Homemade Dynamite. The school bus doesn't wait for me. I walk. Cars hum past. Green, black, black then blue, van, the occasional scooter. The wind teases my curls and I imagine flames in my hair. I reach St. Vincent Road. Here the houses stand identical. Each one has three street facing windows, one on the ground floor and two on the second. I've never been able to see into any of them. The most they give me back is my reflection. The bricks are painted over, muted greens, dull blues and tinges of gray. Every house has a dormer roof and every dormer roof has a chimney. I think they're for show because I've never seen any smoke. The same gardener keeps all the grass in the front lawns short and green. I know because I see him and his lawnmower here every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. He wears a straw hat and beige below the knee shorts. Today he's at number 39, bent over a shrub. His shears glint as I pass. A pram and the mother speed down the other side of the road. She keeps her shoulders hunched and her head bowed and her pace quick. I hear her shoes tapping until she reaches the end of the road and turns right. Cars are parked in all the driveways. Three of them have two cars. A blue bike stands outside number 42 on Thursday and Friday. Sometimes the cars go away, but they always come back. Once, the car that belonged to number 35 went away and didn't come back for two weeks. I checked for it every day, even on the weekends. I thought about it all the time and talked about it to my sister. She said the people who lived there were probably on holiday. She didn't get it. In those two weeks, I couldn't find any good stones to collect from our garden. Madam assigned us reading material by the inferior Bronte sister. My grades slipped. I got my first B in chemistry and it rained for four days straight. I drew a picture of the car and carried it around, but it didn't stop my father from grounding me for biting a classmate. The car returned on a Monday and the same evening I found a good stone to collect. I don't like a lot of people. A lot of people don't like me. It's okay, it works. But there was one girl I really didn't like. She averaged B's in maths and science and C's in English. Romantic plays by Shelley and Baldwin sat in her bag and she read them between classes. She let the boys and girls sleep in her bed but didn't do anything with them. Her parents were sheep farmers and the girl once spent a class trip to the park identifying all the plants. She had perfect teeth, straight and white and stupid. Then her hair caught flame. The boys laughed, the girls screamed and they all took photos. I thought of the fire extinguisher by the door and considered hiding it up my skirt. Madam grabbed it and put the fire out. She held the extinguisher with both hands, stood with her feet shoulder width apart, adopted a poor squat position and hosed her down. I asked God to make sure I never forgot this moment. He told me to take a picture. Madam wiped the foam from the girl's forehead, frowned at her fingers and wiped them onto the girl's blazer. She took her by the shoulders. Are you okay, dear? I hovered at the door with my fingers crossed, willing the fire alarm to go off. I hadn't done the French homework and Madame would ask for it soon. 
The girl nodded, but her whole body shook. I can take her to the bathroom, I offered. Madam hesitated and looked around for any other volunteers. There were none. Then she said that it was fine, dear, and asked me to help her clean her up too. I watched her all the way down the corridor. The one with our Monet paintings curling away from the wall because the blue tack had melted. Mine remained attached because I glued it on and didn't tell. She tried to take long strides, but her short legs let her down. I kept a comfortable pace behind her. The hair that sat by her waist this morning now ended at her shoulders. I twirled the ends of my curls around my fingers and wondered if she would start wearing wigs. The foam slid down her penguin tights into the floor. Twice she almost slipped. Blonde and stupid. I stepped around it. Her teeth chattered and I imagined them falling out. We were alone in the bathroom. She threw herself under a sink, buried her head in her knees and trembled. Every now and then she'd let out a scream and I would catch sight of her smeared mascara and foamy neck. I looked prettier when I cried. I know because I did it in front of a mirror once to see. I stayed by the Meadow P sucks cock for grades on the wall, thinking of something appropriate to say. Nothing came to me. I began scratching out the apostrophe in sucks. She crawled out from under the sink, sat in the middle of the bathroom, eyes on me, and started taking deep breaths. I took a step towards her. She stood up and knotted her fingers into her hair. I edged further away from the wall and ran my fingers through my own. Her muscles tensed and she began inching her way to the mirror. Stay away from me, Erin. I ignored her and inched my way too. Her shoulders continued to tremble and another plop of foam fell to the floor. It's for the best, I said, poking at the foam with my shoe. Your hair was getting too long anyway. I grabbed her hair and yanked it back. Let go of her, Erin, Madam shouted from behind me. I felt a thick pair of arms lock around my chest and drag me backwards. I released the girl's hair and her head hit the floor. The thud bounced off the mirrors. She flipped onto her front, crying on her hands and knees. She crawled under the sinks, shuffled left, shuffled right, did a full turn and crawled back out. I thought of the damage this would do to her penguin tights. She'd have to get rid of them. Good. Madam let go of me and I dropped back onto my elbows. The girl saw this, shrieked and scuttled into a cubicle. The lock clicked. I sat up and wiped the foam from my fingers onto my skirt. One of my socks had slipped and I reached over to pull it up. Erin, growled Madam, stepping over me to stand by the girl's cubicle. When she became angry, she opted to speak slower and in a deeper tone. I think she thought it made her more intimidating. It didn't. Wait for me outside Mr. Hammond's office. She rested her forehead against the wall. Her chest rose and took its time falling. I started to get up and noticed my shoelace had come loose. She turned to face me, then punched the cubicle door. Don't fix your damn shoes, girl. Go. I don't like a lot of people. A lot of people don't like me. It's okay. It works. It kept me calm as mother and I left the car and ran up the steps to the 416's church to avoid the rain. I last attended three months ago, hungover. That Sunday, I downed the blood of Christ on an empty stomach and brought it up between the last two seating rows. Mother didn't ask me to attend again and the church didn't ask her why I stopped. 
After that week, she had to sit in the back during sermons, each donation she made bringing her a row closer to the front. The closer you were to the front, the closer you were to God, and everyone had something to say about where you sat. When she reached the third row, most of the 416s were talking to her again. I never went back. I didn't want to. Mother stopped us outside the doors. Look at me. I looked. She pulled my chin down towards her and smoothed my eyebrows with her thumb. I tried to ignore the January chill and concentrated instead on Mother's ethically farmed pearl earrings. I wore an ethically farmed pearl necklace, but she didn't notice. I suppressed a shiver every time she made contact with my skin. Her fingers were always cold. She slipped a small glass bottle out of her handbag and sprayed expensive French mist in her hair. Come on. Mother took my hand as we stepped in. I adjusted my grip so that I was not holding any tighter or looser than she was. The priest, Father Jonas, stood at the foot of the aisles. He ran things differently at the 416 church. The aisles were segregated, men on the left, women on the right. He kept a table of red wine bottles and sacramental wafers by the door. Confessions were taken face to face. I prayed to the Lord and he blessed it, Jonas told anyone who questioned him. He was talking to a couple who stopped the conversation when they saw me. Mother's hand twitched. I smiled the way she told me to. The man said hello to Mother and the couple went to find their seats. I recognized them but didn't know all their names. They were a small congregation. Everyone blended into the same dark below-the-knee skirt hanging off the arms of a buttoned-up-to-the-collar shirt. Straight teeth and expensive postcodes. My skirt was dark red and Mother's dark blue. Mother stared us towards Jonas. Tall, blind, and smelling of chocolate and apricots. He tucked his cane under one arm and extended the other out to Mother. I took her hand again as soon as it was free. Father Jonas, thank you for preaching to us this morning, said Mother. It was how every member of the 416s greeted him before sermon and how they said goodbye after. Thank you for listening and hearing, was his response to both. He flicked his head as though trying to toss his fringe back, but the gel held it in place. I read a special prayer for Emily today. I believe she'll have full use of her ankle soon. I look forward to the day you attend as a family. Father didn't feel the need to visit every week. My sister, Emily, said the incense the church used made her queasy. We visited together on religious occasions. She stopped limping, so our prayers must be working. Mother spoke in a voice reserved for people outside our house, taking time to draw out her words, adding syllables where there weren't any and ending each sentence as if it were a question. She squeezed my hand twice to bring me into the conversation. Hello, Jonas. Thank you for preaching to us this morning. Father Jonas, snapped Mother, yanking my arm. Jonas pushed his black glasses up the bridge of his nose and rubbed the cane with his thumb. A while back, I hid the cane after a sermon. He bought a new one and crushed my foot with it when no one was watching. Good morning, Aaron. He licked his bottom lip. Thank you for listening and hearing. Welcome back. I'm grateful to be here, I said. Be the politest person in the room. Mother drilled into me during the car ride. Don't embarrass me. I think you'll enjoy my sermon today. He faced the space above my head, but I felt his eyes on my face. It's about how the Bible can cleanse the sicknesses of the mind. 
Does it come from personal experience, Jonas? Amazing, I said, turning my body away. I hoped Mother would get the hint and move us on. I looked out at the half-filled rows. Heads and hats looked back. I smiled through the nervousness, hating them all. Father, a girl dressed in a green floral skirt strode towards us. I groaned, then forced a smile. Eleanor was a church regular. She sewed flowers into all the dresses and skirts she wore and often looked like a bush. She was the only other 17-year-old that attended and everyone thought we were friends. Fucking Eleanor. She sang hymns loud and out of tune. She lit candles for her mothers because the church encouraged them to worship from home. She was conceived in a test tube. Her mothers homeschooled her and she thought she was educated. A few of the candles melted, as in, we won't be able to light them later, she said. He knows what melted candles mean, Eleanor. I suppressed a shudder. Her voice was sing-song silvery and brought up the muesli I'd had for breakfast. Jonas pat her head and she grinned. He said this let him know where the person stood. I believed it was because he liked touching people's hair. Eleanor embraced Mother. She didn't look at me. Mother embraced her back. Their perfumes mingled, French mist and cheap lavender, the kind people sprayed in their bathrooms. My lip curled. I didn't know they formed a relationship. You and Erin can get more from the storage room after the service, said Jonas, his hand trailing out of her hair. Her smile dropped for a second and she side-eyed me, then excused herself and left to take her place at the second row from the front. Fucking Eleanor making me do things. Father, began Mother, Erin will be sitting with me. The tremor on the last word knocked the authority out of her statement and all three of us knew it was a question. It will give her the full experience, nodded Jonas. I think it's the best thing. Amazing, I smiled. Mother let go of my hand and hurried to take our seats in the row behind Eleanor. Jonas pat my head. I kept still. I didn't like being touched. Fingers deep in my roots, he hesitated, then tucked hard on my curls. I winced and drew back. The 413s were made of 125 people. The 316s across town had 466. Mother said it was because they had low standards. I navigated around the woman's aisle, enjoying how my skirt bounced as I moved. My heeled shoes knocked on the hardwood floor, announcing me everywhere I went. It irked me. People glared. I avoided people and stared straight at the rose gold clasp holding mother's chignon in place. I took my seat beside her. I'd color coordinated my bracelet to match, but she didn't notice. Members around us tutted their protests at my being fast-tracked to the front. Mother leaned away from me. The movement was small, but I caught it. I drew the corners of my mouth wide and pushed down the lump forming in my throat. The sermon lasted over 13 minutes. I know because I counted 13 minutes and then got bored. Jonas didn't keep a clock in his church. Father said they were an hour long, but I didn't believe him. Jonas opened with a minute of silence. I passed my giggling fit off as a coughing fit. Mother thumped me on the back hard enough that I knew she didn't believe me. I snorted into the back of my hand until the minute finished. Jonas moved on to a short speech about forgiveness. 
his head and gestures geared towards me the entire time. A few people cleared their throats. My face burned. Be the politest person in the room, I reminded myself. They're all going to die anyway. We were sat behind Eleanor, and every amen she uttered made me twitch. While Jonas spoke about ridding anxieties by casting them onto God, I noticed Mother's straight back and copied it. I kept count of the number of times Jonas used the phrase, And so you see, 17 times. I kept count of the number of times Jonas smacked his lips into the microphone, 22 times. I kept count of the number of times Jonas's eyebrow twitched when I pulled a face, held my middle finger to my chin or licked my lips. Eleven times. Eleanor reached behind and adjusted one of her rosebud clips. Mother leaned forward and combed through Eleanor's hair with her fingers. Are you serious? Eleanor glanced back, smiled with all her white teeth and threw all her yellow hair back so it fell all over her seat. Fucking Eleanor disrupting the service. Mother started plaiting it. I twirled my curls around, feeling like I'd been kicked in the chest. A heat filled me and bowed my head, bringing my hands up in prayer. Dear Lord, please get rid of Eleanor. Car accident, cancer, crushed by a grand clock, I don't care. Do it any way that's convenient for you. Amen. Jonas finished and we sang a hymn. He allowed one hymn a week. Mother turned to the drinks table. I stood up. Mother pulled me back down. We would wait until the rest of the group gathered around the table. We don't want to look like alcoholics, she whispered. It's 11am and they're all drinking. I slumped in my seat, not caring for wine. Mother rummaged in her handbag and pulled out the bottle of French mist. She sprayed it in small bursts through Eleanor's plait. I balled my fists and imagined pulling the plait off her head. I didn't want her sharing sense with Mother. I fixed my face before Mother noticed. Eleanor thanked her and left to join the group. The members mingled. This morning, Sylvas bought pastries she didn't make and set them up between the alcohol and the sacramental waffers. This morning, Sylvas bought pastries she didn't make and set them up between the alcohol and the sacramental wafers. Mother was admiring Sylvas's tattooed eyebrows when I linked my arm through hers. I felt her tense up touch her pearls, and then relax. She cradled a glass of wine and I watched the blessed liquid swirl round and round. I stared straight into Sylvester's black-lined eyes and bat my lashes. She wore her white coat and gloves over a below-the-knee black dress. Mother had filled in Sylvester's frown lines and crow's feet, but Sylvester wanted to keep the laugh lines around her mouth. It reminds me I've had plenty to smile about. Still do, she told Mother. Erin? Sylvester looked me up and down, then tipped her hat. You're back. A lady who's seen the truth understands it. You're starting a new journey. It's amazing. My cheeks were starting to hurt. I searched her face for signs of judgment. She hid it well. You're really growing into your mother's old face, you know. She had a very pretty face, and you should be proud. Not that you don't look stunning now, of course added Sylvester, touching Mother on the arm. Mother rolled her shoulders back. How's Bruno doing? She asked, lowering her voice and leaning forward. It was a cheap shot. Sylvester's husband wasn't doing well. It upset Sylvester to talk about it and Mother knew. Sylvester's chin trembled. She squared her jaw and lifted her chin. 
I don't know. Some days he's cooking and buys flowers. Some days he grunts and won't sleep until five in the morning. She itched the area below her right eye. I met Bruno at the church. I liked his moustache because it twirled at the end. How are you coping? Asked Mother, sipping. I pretend I don't notice. Don't want him thinking he's letting anyone down. But you're struggling, yes? I didn't care about Bruno enough to entertain the conversation and stared at the windows waiting for it to finish. All the windows in the hall were stained plum, cranberry and olive. No one could see through them. Mother nodded while Silvas talked. I watched her press the base of the wine glass against her pearls. With each dip of her head, her cheek brushed the rim. It left the lightest touch of foundation. She took long sips and pink and a pink imprint of her lips sat on the glass. I wondered if it improved the taste. It's why I did the brunch today, continued Silvas. Here, Erin, she handed me a croissant. Pray for him, okay? Pastries for prayers. I fixed my eyes on her ink brows so they wouldn't roll. Erin? I snapped around. Eleanor stood behind me, clipping buds into her new plait. Mother put an arm around Eleanor's shoulder and squeezed. Flowers dangled from Eleanor's ears, roped her wrists, frilled her socks, and buckled her shoes. A copperfish necklace hung around her neck. I tilted my head back and rolled my eyes. Silvas raised a tattooed eyebrow. Fucking Eleanor wearing a fish. We should get the candles now. People are already starting to light the good ones, she said. Look, I looked. Jonas faced us. Go, ushered Mother, releasing Eleanor and pushing me away. We walked to the storage room. The members' whispers became murmurs. Everyone had something to say. I kept a step behind Eleanor, watching her braid swish to stop myself returning the glares. I like the bit about Faith being the ladder that pulls people out of the well of depression, she said. You'll fall a few times, but the rope is always there. No one asked for your thoughts, Eleanor. She held the storage room door open for me. Coats, bags, broken chairs, damaged hymn books, wrong versions of the Bible, mops and desks everywhere. It smelt of sawdust. We were alone. She shut the door and I relaxed smile falling into a pout. I reached for a jar of sacramental wafers. Aaron, put them back, called Eleanor, climbing over a chair. Christ's body tastes of cardboard, I said, crunching loudly to annoy her. That's disrespectful. I'd be more religious if they salted him. I closed the lid and slid the jar onto a desk. I clicked my neck to one side and then the other. Or his blood was a dip rather than wine. Hey, Eleanor, how many times has Jesus died for your sins? Never, because I'm not a bitch, she shot back. Oh, God, she covered her mouth. You're going to hell, Erin. I'll check you in at the gates. I started opening the desk drawers at random, satisfied I'd upset her and beginning to enjoy myself. She whispered a few prayers and went back to rummaging between walking sticks and winter coats. A salsa dip would have been nice. I found them. Eleanor waved a set of candles in the air. Do you want to carry the big ones or the small ones? Neither. I picked out a box of matches from the second drawer. The room became sharper. I could count every scratch on the desk. I shook the box, listening to the contents rattle. 
I forgot about the people outside and mother and redeeming myself. The hairs on the back of my arms rose. Matches? asked Eleanor. I stared at her. Fucking Eleanor looking like a bush. Yeah. We don't need them. They've got plenty. She turned away and I saw her pull her elbows closer to her body. I slid the box open and shut, open and shut, until it became a fluid movement. Seven sticks inside. I tucked one into my palm. Here, take the heavy ones, said Eleanor, stepping around a rug and over a suitcase. She carried two candlestick holders and an armful of small candles. Sure. I took the holders. Push your plat back. You don't want to get hairs caught on the candles. It's a static thing. She huffed and flicked it over her shoulder. Homeschooled and dumb. I felt electric. Eleanor steered herself towards the door. I tucked the candles under my left arm, moved the matchstick out of my palm and between my fingers. It was damp with sweat. I let it fall. Eleanor reached the door. I slid another one out, scraping it against the side of the box. Once, twice, it burnt bright, then burnt out. I dropped it. Eleanor maneuvered herself so she could open the door. I took long strides. The candlesticks clanked against the chair. Eleanor glanced back. She eyed my hands. I told you we don't need them. Just in case. Her shoulders came up to her ears. But there's no point. Jonas asked for them. Father Jonas. Eleanor turned back towards the door. Dear God, I slid the third match stick out and stopped behind her. If you let this one burn, I won't masturbate for a week. I could smell traces of French mist. The match burnt. She walked into the hall with flames in her hair. That's the end of it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. Subscribe. Leave a comment. Leave a rating. And I will see you on Sunday for another story. Bye.